From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. We are here today to talk about part three of the Groundhog Day movie and its meaning, how somebody can get out of a loop, out of a pattern that's defined most of their life. So this is a really powerful movie, and I hope that you find these interpretations to be as powerful as I found them to be doing them. Because I figure things out as I go along, and and things just click, and they provide me with a lot of value. And I hope this interpretation series has provided you with a lot of value. There is so much condensed in these podcast episodes, let alone the movie. So re-listen to the episodes. Um, I recommend that. And also, after I'm done with this series, go watch the movie and you'll see things click together, especially after listening to this interpretation. So let's get into part three. And we left off um, with Phil and Rita. So Rita was slapping him. And this is a great part of the movie movie because it shows Rita, and it shows a montage of Rita slapping Phil. And, you know, these slaps are, are this orientation uh, mechanism, right? Like these slaps help Phil orient himself. These slaps are like, oh, this is a failure. I need to readjust myself, readjust my strategies. And you don't want to hang around people that support your beliefs, right? That support your idiotic behaviors, right? You want people that will challenge you. Like if you're doing something stupid, you want somebody to tell you that. And you see this with celebrities too. Some celebrities hang around with a group of people that just agree with them all the time. You want people that will challenge you so that you can develop yourself. And so what's great about Phil at this point in the movie is that he's spending his time with Rita. So you have to give him a lot of credit, right? He's spending a lot of time with someone who is challenging him. She, you can't fool Rita. You can't fool her. And Phil tries to cut corners and then she slaps him. And that's the thing about life. You know, you can't cut corners. You can, you can, but it'll it'll always come back and get you. And I'm sure that you have someone in your life that you, that you, that's like Phil, right? You just want to slap them so that they can snap out of their idiotic behaviors. You know, it's like, Hey, idiot, you know, pay attention. What you're doing is, is causing you more misery. Stop doing those things. Like we all know people like that, right? And we all want to, you know, sna- slap them out of it or snap them out of it, right? That's the nicer way of putting it, snap them out of it. And so at this point in the movie, Phil doesn't give himself enough credit for uh, for how far he's grown because 
We then see the next scene, right? He wakes up in the morning and he has this awful look over on his face. It hits Phil hard right now. His ways are not getting the results he wants. So he wakes up extremely depressed. And the thing is, being rejected over and over is really difficult. It's really difficult. And it can lead you down a bad path. And we see here, Phil, it it, it led him back into the shadow parts of himself, right? Now he's entertaining the negative parts of himself. And so we see him show up at the Groundhog Day Festival the next morning. He's just looking awful. He is depressed. He stops trying at this point in the movie. His clothes are all raggedy. He didn't try. His hair is all messy. And when your strategies fail, it can be devastating. And so it flattens him. He gives up. And we see a scene where he's watching Jeopardy with the B&B, B&B owners and a bunch of other old people. And um, he's in his pajamas. So he didn't even bother leaving the Airbnb. And then we see him downing a bottle of booze. And so this is like a great representation of the hopeless kid in his mother's basement, confused and just entertaining the, the, the those desires, right? Rather than taking on responsibility and and taking on the pain of the world and pursuing through that resistance, he, Phil just gives up. He's like, what's the point right now? Right, and he's really good at Jeopardy. The Airbnb owners are are looking at Phil like, "How do you know all these answers?" And Phil looks at them like he, you know, he's he's great because he knows all the answers. But there's no pride in that. There's nothing to be proud of, right? It's like being king of the losers, right? There's, there's nothing to be proud of, right? And so he doesn't realize how far. He has personally developed. That's the thing. He he is in a totally different place than he was before this loop began. He's a totally different person, right? So So much progress has been made, but his sights are set towards the end result, getting out of the loop. And so he falls into his shadow. He falls deep in his shadow. He's not aware of it, but is entertaining it at this point in the movie. He realizes that this loop may never end. So he loses hope. He becomes bitter. And then so he goes at uh, at the Groundhog Day Festival. He tells Rita... You want a prediction about the weather? You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. 
and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. And then he says, there's no way this winter is ever going to end. As long as this groundhog keeps seeing his shadow. And so this really relates to Phil. As long as Phil is enveloped within his shadow, there will be no way out of this misery, out of this chaos. And then he says to Rita, I've come to the end of me, Rita. There's no way out now. And so after he says that, he goes over to the truck where the groundhog is caged, and then he steals the truck. And this is really interesting. He kidnaps the groundhog, and then the police, the mayor, is after Phil. And so Rita and Larry jump in the news van, and they follow Phil as he's racing down the highway. And then Phil gets to a dead end. There's nowhere else to go. He turns the truck around, and then Larry gets out the camera to shoot Phil, and... Phil gets this idea that, you know, he's just going to drive off the cliff and end not only his own life, but the groundhog's life as well. And so he says, it's showtime, Phil, before he guns it and drives off the cliff. So he's putting on a show for the camera. Now, this is really interesting. And it's similar, this scene is similar to the motives of the high school shootings, right? The the students, the, the, the young adults who shot up high schools in the past because what those people are looking for is revenge and they have a hatred for being itself. They've entertained their shadow to the extreme. Those people who end up shooting up high schools are in their basements brooding for years. That's how they get to that point. They brood, they ruminate, they entertain their negative thoughts, and then eventually they act them out. And it, it those actions, the, the shootings, are out of bitterness and resentfulness. They take the lives of the innocent and they fulfill their underlying desire for fame because the media covers it, right? So they take the lives of the innocent because what better way to show the world, you know, how bad it is, you know, to take the lives of innocent people, right? But also they fulfill their underlying desire for attention, for fame, because the media is all over it. And then to show the world how much they care, they end their life. And this is what Phil is doing in this scene. The death, so he has this strong resentfulness, bitterness towards life, right? It's like he has a hatred for being. And this is what Phil does. He kills the innocent, which is the groundhog, by driving over the cliff. And then the camera crew is shooting him. So the desire for fame is being fulfilled as well. And this is where Cain ended up in the Cain and Abel story, right? He just brew, he's, he becomes resentful and bitter, and then he kills his ideal, which is Abel, 
right? He, which it, which Abel is the person favored by God. And well, that's how it comes about. And that's where Phil is at this point in the movie. He hates being, he hates it. And so this is the darkest part of the movie. This is Phil's lowest point. And then he attempts to commit suicide repeatedly. He jumps off a building. He jumps in front of, the, of, of a car. He puts a toaster in the bathtub. And, you know, I thought about this and I asked myself, why doesn't he stop trying after two tries? Because what happens is he jumps off a building and then he wakes up. He can't kill himself, but he doesn't stop trying. You know, he, you know, get the hint, Phil. You can't die. You're just going to wake up again in the morning. So why does he keep doing it? Well, maybe because pain is a type of coping. Coping through physical pain is masking the underlying pain. He would rather face physical pain than emotional underlying pain. Well, he is clearly not getting it that no matter how many attempts, he cannot succeed. He's not thinking straight, right? He's not thinking straight. And then in the diner, he's with Rita. And then Phil tells Rita he's a god. He cannot die. And Rita's like, what? What an egotistical a-hole this guy is, right? <clears throat> and then, you know, to really prove to Rita that he's reliving the same day over and over again, he gets up and he starts to describe the life, the life story of all the people in the diner. He goes up to the waiter, describes who he is. He goes up to different people in the diner who are sitting down. And Rita's like, wow, you know, how do you know all this? So it shocks her. So at this point, Phil is doing a different strategy. <clears throat> and, and, and we can also see, because Phil is doing this, we also see that Phil has been stuck in this loop for a very long time to know all of this information, right? So he's been stuck here a very long time. It seems like years. And he's gotten to know everyone in town, pretty much. But he hasn't found the true meaning of his existence yet. All the strategies up to this point has been a failure. So at this point, we see Phil making a great attempt to get through to somebody. He's really trying to get through. And, and Rita says, how are you doing this? And Phil says, I told you, I wake up on the same day right here in Punxsutawney, February 2nd, and there's nothing I can do about it. So we clearly see that Phil is at a wall, right? If you try a hundred times, do you stop trying? 
or do you persevere and go 101, 102? Even here, Phil, by telling Rita, you know, the, the life story of all these people trying to get through to her that he, he's living the same day over and over again, this is a new strategy. And she believes him to some degree. And then she says she will stay with him the rest of the day to see if this is really happening, if, if what he's saying is true. And so this is a great scene. Phil and Rita are, you know, hanging out in Phil's Airbnb room, but they're playing cards. They're playing with cards. And we see Phil not motivated to use Rita for his own desire, but he's enjoying her company right now. This is a really, really powerful scene because we see a more genuine Phil rather than a Phil that's trying to manipulate Rita for his own desires. And then Rita says, is this what you do with eternity? And she's referring to Phil playing with cards. And that's a really good question because even with eternity, Phil has not been using his time efficiently, right? More like implementing coping strategies up to this point, but we can't deny that Phil has grown a lot in character. And that's the thing about recovery is that when you go through recovery and you improve yourself and you develop yourself, you're going to look like a fool. You're going to be bad at it for a long time. You might resort back to your old ways periodically, but you, you got to recognize how far down the path you are compared to the you that you were yesterday. Right. And that's what Phil is not doing. Right. He's not really paying attention to how far he's really developed. He's looking more towards the end result. And he's, and then, you know, kind of, you know, Rita, and this is the thing about Rita, you know, the, the, the stuff that she says really helps orient Phil because, you know, by that comment, is this what you do with eternity? You know, it makes him think like, yeah, what have I been doing with eternity? Is, you know, is this stuff really, you know, helping me or adding, adding some meaning or adding some happiness in my life. And then he admits to Rita, I am a jerk. So we see Phil come to terms with his personality, the parts of himself that weren't serving him, that was making himself miserable and the other people around him miserable. And he's becoming more aware of his own ego and insecurities, right? And the way he says it, I am a jerk, is really genuine. And then Rita says, you know, maybe it's not a curse. It depends on how you look at it. So by opening up to Rita and telling the truth, Admitting to his own flaws, he gets meaningful advice from someone he admires. And so instead of killing 
your ideal, he gets close and opens up to her. And what I mean by killing is getting rid of. So we may ignore those people who want us to strive for excellence and focus on those negative friends that support our bad behaviors, right? And that's what I mean by killing. It's like symbol, it's a symbolic death, right? And you don't want to kill off your ideals like the Cain and Abel story. Cain kills Abel, his ideal. And when he kills his ideal, his suffering is more than he can bear. Because once you kill your ideal, then who is going to challenge you to be better? Who are you going to look up to? Who's going to be your mentor to help you overcome your past negative habits, right? The stuff you need to burn off so that you can improve yourself. And then Rita decides to stay until 6 a.m. because the time spent together, her time spent with Phil has been the most genuine and the most real it's ever been, all right? And so she falls asleep beside Phil. It's around like 3 a.m. or something like that. And Phil opens up to her, and he tells Rita he loves her, and he wanted to hold her ever since he first saw her. And so we can see that this is a genuine statement because, well, Rita's clearly asleep. So we know it's genuine, right? She's not really listening. He's not using these words to manipulate Rita. These are actually coming from a deep and truthful part of him. And so we see this side of Phil that is, you know, that we haven't seen before. His true feelings are coming forth. Yes, we have seen parts of this movie where what he was saying was genuine, but this is really genuine. It's a really touching scene. And so each day that he wakes up, he has an opportunity to stay close to those that will help him him develop. Or he could ignore the ideal. He can stay with those negative friends. He can stay with those women that he uses to manipulate and, and, and get that instant gratification from. But, you know, now he's spending time with people that are challenging him. So far, he has mostly been alone, right, with his poor beliefs or with those other people that support his poor beliefs. Now he's, now he's, he's orienting himself more at this point. But now he's, he, he sees that when he opens up to Rita, that there's this different feeling that he gets from it, right? And we see that because he wakes up the next morning, but then you know, Rita's not there. And we see a look of disappointment come over Phil's face. And he gets up, but we see a spring in Phil's step, right? He looks out the window and then he takes a deep breath. He lifts his chest up and he lifts his chin up 
and it looks like, you know, he's, he's willing to take on the day, you know, it's painful. You know, he, he was in a, he was in depression not too long ago, but he's deciding to take on that responsibility, his posture, his, you know, sometimes we have to act as if in order to become that identity, right? You know, if you don't feel like taking on the day, if you just want to stay in bed, you know, yeah, you know, we all have those moments in our, in our lives, but sometimes we have to get up and raise our chest, even though we don't want to and raise our chin up to the sky. And, you know, we have to act like that. And so it changes our mood. We have to force ourselves to do things that are difficult and, and it's not fun, but the end result is far greater than staying in bed and coping right? And after a day of speaking the truth, especially at night with Rita, and not trying to manipulate the fabric of reality, reality to fulfill his own needs, he, he spends quality time with Rita, and he speaks the truth. And he wakes up more oriented in his approach towards the, the day because the payoff of his truth and genuine actions was rewarding, right? So now he is oriented towards those payoffs to serve his higher self. The future Phil can end up sleeping next to Rita like the previous night if he again aims in the same direction as he did yesterday. And then we see Phil outside. He turns the corner and there is the homeless man standing where he always stands. And Phil decides to give him all the cash in his pocket. And the look on Phil's face shows a lot of resistance doing this deed because he's not used to doing this, right? So we see Phil, as soon as he hands over the cash, we see a look on Phil's face like, oh my God, what did I just do? And then he takes a sigh and, and then he walks on and, and he, he feels better just because of his facial expressions after he walks on. And this way of acting is outside of his known territory. So Cognitive dissonance is inevitable. Cognitive dissonance is feeling, thinking, and behaving in a manner you're not accustomed to. So no matter what, it's always difficult to let things go. It is. Whether it's that bit of cash in your wallet or it could be a habit that you know is bad, that you need to replace. You have to let go of these things, and it's always difficult. And the thing is, even though Phil knows, he will just wake up and repeat the same day over and over again with the same money in his pocket, he still has that resistance because it's just not that easy, right, to let things go. And that's why this movie is so beautiful at showcasing that. It's those little details 
that make this movie just brilliant. And before, he wasn't oriented in helping others. And we see here a change in his routine that's more oriented in helping other people. And so he shows up to work with coffee and pastries for his team. Now, the thing is, if Phil is waking up to the same day, you know, why even show up to work? You know, if it's just going to be the same day again, why, why even show up to work? Like, that's a really good question. You can just avoid it, right? And this, what, this is what happened to me in my past when I was working in the film union. It's you, you get work by calling in, right? And you make yourself available. But I would avoid calling in because I w- had a bunch of fears of, you know, showing up late, not doing a good job and embarrassing myself by not knowing what to do on set, <clears throat> things like that. But I would avoid it. But only things only got worse by avoiding going to work, right? You don't, things only get worse for you. Phil clearly doesn't like his job. But now his aim is to make things better, to challenge himself, right? And you don't go about making things better by avoiding. That's the thing. Because by avoiding, you only make your fears stronger. By avoiding the film jobs, I was only making my fear of going to those jobs stronger. So when I actually did phone in, my fear was I couldn't sleep. That's how bad my fears became because, you know, I just wanted to call in and cancel my availability at that point at at 3 a.m. I remember calling in at 3 a.m. one time because I was I was just so afraid of just going into work. And it's also a lie you're telling yourself when you avoid going to work, right? It's a lie. And it's also a lie you're telling your managers as well when you keep avoiding work. Guilt and shame align with this action of avoidance. You feel guilty inside. You know, you know you could be doing more, but you then you sit yourself in front of the TV and then you engage in coping strategies like Phil was doing when he was watching Jeopardy with all those people. And you know you should go. You know you should go to work, but you tell yourself a story that will make the easy, that will make, that will take you out of the pain, right? It'll take you down a road of least resistance, Right. But the thing is, taking on responsibility is a very courageous and noble action. And these acts are connected more closely with the pleasure centers of the brain. When we ignore and avoid, we are treating the situation as if it's a dragon and we should avoid confronting that thing, that it's a predatory animal. That your job is a predatory animal. Going to the supermarket, it's a predatory animal. Going to that get-together, it's a predatory animal. But that dragon then grows three other heads 
because avoiding that thing has many consequences attached to it that you deep down know will come back and bite you. And it does because when you go and confront it, the fear is greater. And you also won't get the pleasure kicks that are associated with overcoming these difficult obstacles. You won't know what, who you could be or what you could do. That's the thing, right? And so now, Phil is using the information he obtained from the people around him to better his relationships with them. He knows how Larry takes his coffee and what treats he enjoys. So he goes and gets them for him. Because that's what happens when you pay attention and you're not so self-centered. You're not self-centered in the wrong way. You're self-centered more when you're consumed by your ego, when you are entertaining the shadow parts of yourself. You're not looking out for other people. You're not paying attention when you're unconscious Phil's paying attention. He knows what the people around him like. So he, he goes and gets it for them. And so he offers Larry, he offers to help Larry with the camera gear. And he notices that the people around him are giving off positive energy because of his genuous and kind actions, generous and kind actions. He is placing a lot of responsibilities onto his shoulders at this point. And so before you can help others, you have to help yourself. You have to help yourself. And so once I took on the responsibility for my anxiety disorder, I became higher self-centered, which means I was improving on my higher, I was improving on myself because I knew that the Brad in the future will benefit greatly and will be free of anxiety, will be free from um, a lot of pain, right? Because I was causing myself a lot of pain and we can get to a point in our lives where we can do things now where and those actions can help prevent pain for our future selves. And so after orienting myself properly, after developing the qualities of the mentors I was surrounding myself with over time, then the people around me began to change. And you can see Phil he developed some of the personality traits of Rita because he subject he decides to spend his time being around her and that time helped him develop himself as we saw earlier on in the movie when you know he would say something to Rita and she responded poorly to it he would take note and then he would come back the next day and not say that stupid thing, right? And so Rita was that challenge. She was that challenge that Phil needed, right? 
And so Phil developed the personality traits of Rita and the, the people like when I recovered from anxiety, the people around me decided to change based off of the positive outcomes I was obtaining from my new positive habits. You have to be the example. You know, you can help others, but how are you going to do that if you can't help yourself? And that's the thing. I see people all the time who are living horrible lifestyles. And they say to me, Brad, I want, I want to be there for you. It's like, I appreciate that, but how can you be there for me when you are living in so much pain and suffering and you're not doing anything about it? That's the key point of that. You're not doing anything about it. So how can you help other people? And I really love this part of the movie. Um, this part always gets me. This part really hits home for me because it reminds me of the beginning of my recovery. We see Phil in a diner reading. He's sitting there reading a book. He's wearing nice clothes. And then there's classical music playing on the radio. And we see a look of contentment. We see a look of, of calmness, of acceptance. And this, this, this part of the movie always gets me because I always, it reminds me of the time I would be in Starbucks or any coffee shop reading, listening to classical music and slowing down. And I was doing this every day because the old Brad wouldn't read, but I wanted to get as far away as that from that old Brad as I could. And so we begin to see Phil breaking up his old routine. That's the thing, right? We, ne we haven't seen Phil do this before, but he's in a diner reading, listening to classical music, and you have to change your old routine in order to change who you are. And we also saw earlier in the movie Rita reading a book at the bar. So we see Phil, like I said before, he's, he's absorbing Rita's routines, the routines and habits that make up Rita, and he's applying those habits in his own life. Because Rita is that ideal, right? You can, you can kill off that ideal. Phil can run away from Rita or he can learn from Rita and he's learning. He adopted her habits. And so I also changed my taste in music because of Maggie as well. She introduced me to classical music. <clears throat> she grew up listening to the greats such as Beethoven, Mozart, and she loves classical. And I decided to listen and only listen to this music because I realized when, when I listened, it challenged me to, to sit and, and really 
because I used to listen to a lot of, you know, punk rock, um, alternative music, and those those types of music, you know, they're very, I'd say, um, I, I still love them, by the way. I still listen to those those types of music, by the way. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, the 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 vocals tend to tell you what to think. It's it's more one sided compared to classical music, where it's very deep, and you know, the music by its tone can do that to some degree, tell you what to think or tell you how to feel, I should say. But I think classical music really helped me with my with my discipline because classical music is long is longer than a three minute rock song, for example. And classical music helped me not only to relax, but to, to be disciplined. And, you know, Maggie was, was the Rita, you know, was the Rita in my life. Maggie helped me orient myself because, you know, she would be the one to, to say what I was doing is wrong. She would have all these qualities that I would admire from an unconscious level. And I started to adopt some of her, her habits. You know, she is an avid reader. She loves classical music. She loves, you know, we tend to get into relationships that, fit with who we are and and I used to be that person but Maggie was that challenge I needed I I started to open up my perspective because she was engaging in things that I wasn't accustomed to and that's really important that that's what develops you that's what stimulates new neuronal pathways and so I began to slow my life down at the beginning of my recovery because my life was super fast paced and usually an anxiety sufferer, their life is fast pace. And so I started to give back to myself and, and things started to change. I started to take care of myself and treats, treat myself as if it's someone I respect. And also reading is a developing habit. You expand your knowledge from reading. You escape um, through great works of literature, but you know also self-help books. You expand your knowledge. You learn something. You learn a technique, and then you in- implement it from books. Right? Books are very powerful. And then you know while he's listening to classical music in the diner, Phil gets this idea in his head. And then he goes and gets piano lessons. And here's a quote from Albert Einstein that I love. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You have to expand yourself. Go outside into the unknown. And so that's what Phil does. He goes and gets piano lessons. All right, and then Phil wakes up again, and as he leaves his Airbnb uh, room, he, he gives the guy on the steps that greets him every day a big kiss on the cheek and says, 
Winter slumbering in the open air wears on his smiling face a dream of spring. And then you see the guy, you know, raise his chest and he gets a big smile and and Phil just lighted up that guy's day. Like he, he just made that guy's day. And so what's so great about this scene is life is a routine. You meet and encounter the same people regularly. Whether it's two minutes, it, it has a great deal on your life. Because if you humans are routine creatures and we see the same people, you know, to, you know, it, it, when you go to your job, you might not you know, it might not be friends with them, but you interact with them to some degree. And that interaction, if it happens two minutes every day, that's 14 minutes a week. And then in a month, that's 56 minutes. In a year, it's 11 hours. And that's only from those two minutes every day. And the look on this man's face after Phil leaves, it's great because you can change someone's day in, 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 like in just a 30-second interaction, right? It only takes that brief moment to change someone's day. And then we see Phil stumbling around the piano learning scales, and that pretty much sums up the movie because once you start something new, it 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 makes you, you know, it causes a lot of resistance. You don't even want to do it. You don't want to show up again to piano lessons because, you know, it, you're bad at it and you're not seeing any results and you feel like a fool. You're stumbling around. You're failing. But that's like anything in life. You have to stumble around. You have to go through the tough resistance and the painful phase before you can see any real results. And that's what we see here. When the next scene is Phil, he's carving an ice sculpture with a chainsaw. And we see here the outer result of something that takes months and years of practice right and so we know that phil has been working at this sculpture for a long time because the quality of the sculpture is exquisite it's beautiful and we're seeing the outcome of something that he's been working a long time at and then larry and rita come by and they are amazed at Phil's hidden skill. They're just blown away. And I'm sure that there were dozens of other times before where Rita and Larry have come by to see Phil stumbling around the ice sculpture, learning how to operate the tools at a very beginner level. So there were other times that Phil was bad at it. But now in this scene, we see the result of something that has taken Phil a long time to, to perfect, to get right. And then we see 
Phil getting much better on the piano. He's playing a recognizable piece. He's playing Claire de Lune, but he's still stumbling around a bit. And so the question is, you know, what could you accomplish if time wasn't an option? All right, if time's not an option, what could you accomplish? What could you accomplish if you made each day, say, 2% better each and every day? Just a little bit amount. You know, when Phil started to learn ice sculpting, he was probably terrible at it. But you don't just stop. You get 2% better the next day. And then a year goes by and then he's creating a beautiful sculpture, right? Your life will be totally different in a year if you focus on making each and every day 2% better. Grow in a way that will benefit you, your family, and then the community, right? And so then this next scene is very touching. He sees the homeless man stumbling around. He's not looking too well. And then Phil says, hello, Father, let me get you someplace warm. And then so he takes the homeless man to the hospital. And then the nurse says, the old man just passed away. And then shocked, Phil says, what did he die of? And then the nurse says, well, he was just old. And so he barges into the room to see him and he demands to see the chart. And the nurse says, you know, sometimes people just die. And then Phil says, not today. And so I thought about that line. What is, you know, what, what, what is Phil doing here? Why is he barging in, demanding to see his chart? And why did he say not today? And what I think is he wants to see the charts so that he knows what killed him so that he can prevent the old man from dying the following day. And he has taken so much control of his life now that his that this anomaly, this old man dying, it, it feels out of out of his control. But since he can relive the day tomorrow, he feels he now has an obligation to help this man. And so then we see him at the diner with the homeless man, feeding him a giant breakfast. And then the next scene is Phil trying to revive him in the back alley. So, so far his tactics aren't working. The breakfast isn't working. And then this is interesting. As he's reviving this old man in the alley, Phil refers to this man as father, as pop. And so I thought about this, and could this be the archetypal theme of rescuing your dead father from the belly of the whale? Revivifying culture, right? The archetypal uh, father-like, you know, Dumbledore, Gandalf-type figure is the, is the, is, resembles culture, right? And the, in the revivifying of culture is, is, 
uh, I think emanating from this from this scene, right? And then Phil realizes he can't save this man no matter what. And so Phil gives a sigh. He looks up towards the heavens and realizes this is something he has to let go. He can't do this. He can't get, get control. So I think this part, he's learning his boundaries, right? His, he's learning what, you know, he's stretching himself out towards his limits. And he's seeing the, the catastrophes of the world, right? He's, not, he's no longer self-centered. He's, he's looking towards other people and to help other people. And then, you know, what's interesting is that Phil earlier in the movie says he's a god, right? Remember, he refers to himself as a god, but he can't save this old man from dying. So he, he has to let that, that part of himself go, right? He's not a god. He can't, he can't save him. Some things just happen. And so the next scene, this is a really cool scene, Phil is giving a news report. He's giving the Groundhog Day report. And he's captivating the crowd at the festival. All the reporters have their microphones pointed towards Phil. And Phil is giving this profound and moving speech. And this is powerful because when you take responsibility for the job you do, and the actions you take, no matter if you're working at McDonald's, it doesn't matter. You don't know how much better things can be. If you made your life 2% better every day, your life would be completely different a year from now. I keep repeating that, but it's very important. And so Phil transformed from a Cain to an Abel. We see this transformation in this movie. He's making the right sacrifices. God favors Phil. He's manifesting the good because of his orientation, right? And so after he gives that moving speech, Rita, who is so moved by this report, asks if Phil would like to get a cup of coffee. But Phil declines because he has responsibilities that need to be attended to. So we see his aim not oriented toward winning Rita at this point, but on helping the community as we will see uh, going forward. And this reminds me of my, myself when, you know, Maggie and I were at the beginning of our relationship, when I was overcoming anxiety, I was spending a lot of time with myself and not with Maggie. The reason is, is because I knew that I needed to improve on myself before I can improve my relationship with Maggie. And I noticed once things got better, those little bits every day, those, my routines got better. I started to feel better. I became more calm. I, I, I engaged in 
positive habits, I started to make the right sacrifices, then my relationship with Maggie began to change. And so then we see Phil run up to a tree with his hands out, screaming, and he catches a kid who falls out of a tree. Now, this is a really interesting part of the movie, right? And he he yells, and then the kid jumps out of his arms, and then the kid runs down the street. And then Phil yells out to the kid, you have never thanked me, you brat. And then, and, the, and just because of that line, we understand that Phil has been here dozens of times catching this kid. Like every day he's been here running up to the kid, catching him and saving him. And then we see Phil run up to a car where oh these old ladies are driving this car the 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 tire is flat Phil runs up jacks up the car and changes the tire and the and the ladies are extremely grateful that they you know they they've he's helped them and then there's another scene where the mayor is choking on a piece of steak in a restaurant and then Phil runs up and saves him right pushes on his stomach, the steak flies out of his mouth, and the mayor's like, oh my God, you saved my life. And so we see Phil, he spends his days learning the piano, he reads, he, he's giving a profound news report at his job that he used to hate, and now he's going around the community helping other people who are in dire need. So he is taking on a lot of responsibility. And with all this responsibility, the results of his actions is attracting nothing but good into Phil's life. People are coming to Phil and saying, thank you. Thank you for helping me. And this is providing Phil with a lot of meaning in his life. So everyone around him is, is gravitating toward his being, right? So the, the more responsibility in your life, the more meaning. You know, Phil has developed the tools and, str and strength to conduct himself in the world. And so he is able to help those around him because at first he was able to help himself. There is a responsibility in that. That's why a lot of people who recover from addictions help others who struggle with addiction. There is a responsibility that follows the recovery journey. And this is a great quote from Dostoevsky. He says, A human being is not only responsible for everything they do, but for everything everyone else does. And what that means is if you were better, the people around you would be less worse than they currently are. So the best in other people will shine forth. Right? And that's reflected, and that's what that's the message in 
in the Bible where Chris, Christ uh, took the sins of the world onto his shoulders, right? Phil knows the worst parts of humanity because he came from a dark place. He used to be consumed in ego. He was full of bitterness. He resented being itself. He knows how deep the human heart can sink. So his humility is strong. The failures, those slaps he experienced along the way, they were adjusting his aim in the world appropriately to the point where he, he is now taking on so much responsibility, right? To conduct yourself forthrightly, you have to take care of yourself properly. And then you can take care of the people around you properly. You don't know how much better the community would be if you are the best you can possibly be. Then at the hotel, there's this big party at the end of the day. And then Rita, she walks in to the, the ballroom and then she sees Phil on the piano in the jazz band playing unbelievably well. Like he's amazing. The whole convention hall is dancing along with the music. It's just, un it's unbelievable. And this, this part always gives me goosebumps because everything is in unison, right? We see this side of Phil that we, 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 do, we just don't expect. Like he's so brilliant on the piano. That's where you can be if you start by stumbling around on the piano. And what's so great about this movie is that we don't just see the end result of the hero, but we see the worst parts of Phil that has led him up to this point. We typically see like the great and talented and successful people around us. We see the outer layer of the onion, but we fail to recognize the struggles that go with these people and to get these people to where they are now. People often view the person who has recovered from anxiety as one of a kind. You know, you're just a unique person and to get to that point, it's just too far out of my reach to get to where you are. So they set goals that are too high. But as we see in this movie from Phil, he, he, he started out small locally and he starts out by being a fool. He's bad at it, right? Like his persona at first, remember how bad he was talking to people? Like he started out from the lowest point. And now we see him like, like at this point in the movie, he's, he's like, you know, he, he looks like a God at this point in the movie. And, you know, and also, you know, to get, 
to where he is now, like to play the piano extremely well, to get to know the community the well as as good as he does, and to create that ice sculpture, Phil must have been stuck in this loop for at least three years to to get to where he is now. So the movie does show, you know, it's doesn't happen overnight. It takes a it takes a while. It does not happen overnight. And that's brilliant. And then while uh, Rita and Phil dance, many townsfolk approach him and thank him for helping them out. So he's getting thanked by everybody. The community opens up their arms to Phil. And then Rita says, we only come once a year and you seem like the most popular person in town. And this is how much you can accomplish in one day if you set your aim right and become better than you are across time. So think of the you that will be, think of what the you you imagined, you will you imagine a year from now if you make your life 2% better every day. And you can do this by asking yourself, what are the habits that make up my current identity that is keeping me stuck? And I noticed that whenever, I, I noticed that whatever I was doing in my life was not working, I started to do the opposite. So like Phil, I started to become aware and then I would stop doing them the next day or, or try to, to, my goal was, my aim was to avoid doing that the next day. That's what happens when you, you become more awake, you become more conscious, you're aware that what you did today wasn't working for you, it caused you some negative emotion. Take stock of it and avoid doing it the next day. And then things start to get better and that's universally the case. That's what happens. And then there's a bachelor auction. And a lady pushes Phil on stage. And this is very, very cool because we see that when you properly, when you put yourself together, you become wanted. You move up the dominance hierarchy. And then the, the pretty ladies begin to bid on Phil. And then Rita outbids everyone, and the look on Phil's face is of complete joy. He's, he's thrilled. And so we see that Phil doesn't have to spend the day focused on Rita to get Rita. All he has to do is work on himself and then improve and in, into uh, focus his aim on the community and thus he gets Rita in the end anyways because he's he's worked on himself. He's worked on himself with those piano lessons. He's worked on himself with reading in the diner. He's worked on himself, you know, ice sculpting and interacting with the community. So he's improving many different areas of himself. And then the those people, the Rita types, you know, are attracted to you because of your aim. So he gets the girl. 
not by manipulating her and twisting the fabrics of reality, but by putting himself together. And then while Rita and Phil are dancing, more of the community, you know, comes up and thanks Phil, which is which is great. That's what happens. And then we see Phil and Rita outside, and Phil is carving a sculpture of Rita's face in the snow. And then he shows the sculpture to Rita. He shows the sculpture to Rita, and she is blown away. The sculpture is a real work of art. It's beautiful. It's professional. And then Phil says, no matter what happens tomorrow or for the rest of my life, I'm happy now. And this reflects back on the opening lines of the movie. Remember the opening lines where Phil said, you know, somebody asked me once, Phil, if you can be anywhere in the world, where would you like to be? And I said, right here in somewhere in Texas, right? Not in, not in, not in Pittsburgh, but in somewhere else. And so we already got that impression that he's not happy here. He's striving for something better and that maybe living somewhere warm is better. But he now, at the end of the movie, he's happy now. You can be happy now. You don't have to escape where you are now to find happiness. It's inside you. It's what you aim at. It's your orientation, right? It's what you value. What you act out is what you value. And so that's a beautiful line. And then 6 a.m. hits. But it's a different song playing on the radio. And then we see Rita's arm reach across Phil. And the day is different. The loop has been broken. And then Phil says, something is different. Anything different is good. And so you will wake up one morning and realize how much your life has changed. You can't fully get out of the loop until you've made habits that serve your higher self and then make those habits unconscious, habitual to see any real change, right? So you can't get out of the loop until you've made habits that serve your higher self and they become unconscious in nature because you have to keep doing them over and over and over again to see any real change. You have to do it over a span of time. And so the universe will give you what you want if you ask for it and walk the path towards it. And when people feel the resistance to stop, they, they t you know, you can either stop and go back to your old ways and become stuck in the loop or you break out. And to break out, you have to kill off many aspects of yourself that are only serving you for the worse. You have to confront the shadow parts of yourself, the parts that you don't want to confront and, and, reintegrate them and Rita says you said stay so I stayed and maybe because over a long 
period of time, he had to fully prove to himself that he was able to get to a better place within than to change in the external world. And then the breaking of the loop would occur. It's either the world that's against you or it's yourself. And you better hope it's yourself because how are you going to change the world? You better change yourself before you do anything else. And Phil has practiced his new his new daily routine for a long time now that it's his way of life. It's his identity. This is who he is now. There's no going back to his old ways. And so they both walk out of the B&B and Phil says, it's so beautiful. And he has a new appreciation of the world. And then he says, let's live here. From a guy who wanted to be anywhere other than here, I used to think that living away from my current city and maybe living somewhere tropical, maybe living in California. You know, we, we get that way sometimes when we see those places on social media, in movies, and TV shows. We kind of crave to, to get out. And, and um, you don't have to. You can, you can find ways to, to get out where you are now. And we saw that with Phil throughout the movie. You don't have to leave. He didn't have to leave Punxsutawney to find meaning. You know, he found meaning in the place he least wanted to be, and he, ma he made that place into his home. And that's the hero archetype. You confront the dragon, you slay the dragon, and you make the, the world out of its pieces. Right? That story goes back thousands of years. And to find happiness... You start with yourself. And that's the movie. And I hope you enjoyed these podcast episodes. I certainly enjoyed them and um, I found them to be quite meaningful. This movie is so amazing. You can see how deep this goes. If you have any, uh, if you have any observations about the movie that I missed, please leave me a comment. Um, you can do that at unpluganxiety.com under contact. You can do that on the YouTube video, leave a comment. And I hope um, you, you enjoyed this, uh, this series. Uh, it, it, this was so great. I, I had a lot of, I don't want to say fun. I mean, it, it was, it was, it, it required a lot of deep analytical thinking um, to go through this movie, but you know, it, this goes to show you how powerful stories are and how much they can influence us. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. I'll see you on the next podcast episode. Bye for now. Brad's powerful anxiety recovery program is available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. What are you waiting for? Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.